I'm going to invite you to open up in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. To the book of Hebrews. Book of Hebrews, chapter 4, is where we will be today. It's three verses, verses 14, 15, and 16. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14, 15, and 16. I'll give you a moment to find that. I encourage you to open up in your Bibles when the and when we, uh, when we read and keep those things open, uh, as we walk through this passage, you want to keep looking down and uh, let this word soak into your mind um, and, uh, as, as we spend some time in God's word today. If you'll follow along as I read, this is the word of God. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Father, we thank you that it is true. We thank you that it is active. It is able to change us. Father, we thank you that it is always relevant in our lives. Father, we thank you that it challenges us, that it encourages us, that it equips us to be the people that you have called us to be. And Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who softens our hearts to receive your word. Father, would you humble us right now? Father, would you, would you give us teachable spirits? Father, I don't know what what things we have brought in with us today. I don't know the joys and the sorrows that have happened in everyone's lives this past week. Father, I don't know the successes and the burdens. Father, the triumphs and the failures. But Father, we bring that to You. Father, we don't want to ignore it. But Father, we want to We want to interpret our circumstances and and our feelings and and our lives through the lens of your word. So, Father, for the next few minutes, Father, would you grace us with your presence here in this place? Father, help me to proclaim your word faithfully. God, I'm not worthy to do this. Father, may we May we learn from Your Word with eagerness. Father, we are not worthy to to learn from Your precious Word. But Father, You give us the grace in this moment so that You will be honored and glorified. 
that our lives would be changed for our good and your glory through your powerful word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at a passage in 1 Timothy. And we learned this, that as Christians, the grace we have been shown by God, thinking about our salvation, that He's rescued us from our sin, that grace should drive us to work hard at growing in holiness. The order is important there. God's grace drives us to work hard. We don't work hard to earn God's favor or His grace. Grace is unmerited favor. And so, because God has so loved us, because He has reached down and He has rescued our souls, if you've trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, He has done this incredible work of salvation in you. Because He has done that, we ought to want to grow in our godliness. In other words, we ought to want to look more and more like the God who saved us. We want to reflect His holiness in our thinking, in our emotions, in our speech, in our actions, in every area of life. We want to live a lifestyle of holiness. And we want to be growing in that. We've got to work at that. God's grace comes in and it is sufficient, but He has given us things, He has given us certain things that we are to do that will help us grow in holiness. We've compared this to walking into a gym. And the goal there is to grow, it's to get stronger, it's to get healthier. You walk in and you see all of these different exercise uh, machines and equipment, and it can be a little overwhelming. And, and when we think about all the different ways that God has given us to grow, it can be a little bit overwhelming. But if we'll think about it in a few categories, I don't think it'll make us so overwhelmed. Uh, last week we said if you walk into a gym, you, you, may, you, you may think about I'm going to work on my upper body or I'm going to work on my core or I'm going to work on my lower body. And then you just pick a few of those exercises. Don't get overwhelmed. Just make sure you hit all three of those categories and you get a good workout in. Well, there are really three main categories of spiritual disciplines or habits of grace that God has given to us. Now, last week we looked at the first of those categories of spiritual exercises, and that was the Word of God. And we said this, that delighting in God's Word is the central means through which God's grace for godliness flows into our lives. If we want to grow in godliness, we must spend time in God's Word. We must spend time in God's Word. Now we move to that second category of spiritual exercises, which is prayer. And by the way, uh, on Sunday nights last week, and we're going to work on it some more this evening, um, here in our Bible study, we're looking at a lot of the different exercises that fall under that category of spending time in God's Word. So I encourage you to be here. We had a great time last Sunday night. But now we want to move to the second category, which is prayer. I want to share this truth with you, and we'll begin to unpack this passage of Scripture. Growing in godliness requires us to spend time praying to the God whose holiness we desire to reflect. Growing in godliness requires us to spend time praying to the God whose holiness we desire to reflect. Prayer is not an optional category of spiritual exercises. It is essential. Now, as we walk through, I'll make a few comments as to why we will say the Word of God is the central means through which we grow, but prayer is essential 
in our lives if we are going to grow in godliness. We cannot expect to become more like God if we don't spend time with God. Prayer is essential. And that's what praying is. It's spending time talking to God. We spend time hearing from God when we spend time in his word. And then we communicate back to God when we spend time in prayer. Now, we're in the book of Hebrews today. And, and Hebrews is about Jesus. Now, I know you say, well, the whole Bible is about Jesus. You're right. The whole Bible is about Jesus. But if, if I could come up with one word to summarize the book of Hebrews, it is Jesus. Uh, this book calls us to live with faith in Jesus because Jesus is supreme in every way. Uh, throughout the book of Hebrews, we see that Jesus is the better this and the better that and the better this and the better that. Hebrews just points us to the supremacy of Christ. And as we're pointed to the supremacy of Christ, we want to live and walk by faith in Jesus each and every day. And one way we exercise our faith is through prayer. Let me share with you two reasons why we can and therefore why we should Pray with confidence. First is this. We can pray with confidence because Jesus is the great high priest. We can pray with confidence, Christian, because Jesus is the great high priest. Notice verse 14 and 15. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. One of the main themes of the book of Hebrews is the priestly office held by Jesus. Over and over in the book of Hebrews, we're told that Jesus is our high priest. He is our great high priest. The high priest was the one who represented the people before God. You're wondering, what, what's the role of the high priest? What was he supposed to do? Well, he represented the people before God. He was authorized by God to enter God's presence on behalf of the people in order to make intercession for the people. So the people had a request to make from the Lord. They couldn't just go right to God. They had to go through a priest. The Old Testament spells out all the rules for how that is to work. It's important that we understand that from the Old Testament, that there had to be a high priest to enter into God's presence on behalf of the people. Because of our sin, we are unworthy to enter into God's presence. We, we are. We're, we're, our sin makes us unworthy to come before a holy and righteous God. However, God desires to be glorified by having a relationship with his image bearers. So he gave people a way to come before him with adoration and confession and thanksgiving and petitions to him. In the Old Testament, we learn that God set apart this one man to represent the people before him. There were many rules the high priest had to abide by in order to come into the presence of God. He had to wear certain clothes and he had to perform certain rituals and he had to offer certain sacrifices when he came into the presence of God. Then and only then was he able to speak to God on behalf of the people. Why is that? It's because God is perfect and holy and humans are not and god wanted them to to remember and be aware that god was perfect 
and they were not. And so they had to do these things to, to try to make themselves holy before they came into God's presence. But as good as this was, there was still this separation that existed between people and God. They couldn't enter into his presence. Only the priests could. A physical reminder of this, if you recall from the Old Testament, was an actual thick curtain that hung in the temple separating what was called the Holy of Holies. That is where God's presence dwelled right there in the center of the temple. That thick curtain separated that room from the rest of the temple. And certain people could go into the rest of the temple, but only the high priest could go behind that curtain. And he could only enter once a year. And the priest could only enter by offering sacrifices year after year after year, which is a reminder that he and the people continued to be sinners year after year after year. And when he entered God's presence, it was only in the man-made tabernacle or temple, which God graciously allowed his presence to fill, But the priest wasn't actually entering the throne room of God in heaven. It was good, but it wasn't the best. But then came Jesus. Then came Jesus. And he was fully God and fully man. And Jesus lived a perfect life. And he offered his life up as a sacrifice for sin. And opened up a new and living way into the presence of God. I love Mark chapter 15, verses 37 through 38. This is seen of Jesus on the cross and he's dying for our sins. And it says this in Mark chapter 15. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and he breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. Who tore the curtain? God did. God tore the curtain. Why was he able to do that? Because a perfect sacrifice, a sacrifice that was acceptable to him, had been made. And then Jesus rose up from the dead and he ascended back to heaven where he sat down at the right hand of God. And there he makes intercession for us. In other words, Jesus has become our high priest and he is our great high priest. There is no one like him. There is no priest. And there never ever ever will be who has done what Jesus has done. He's better than all other priests for two reasons, as we see in verses 14 and 15. But before we look at those reasons, I want you to notice the command in verse 14. It says, let us hold fast our confession. You see that? Let us hold fast our confession. To hold fast to something means to cling to it or to hold tight to it. And what are we to hold tight to? We're to hold tight to our confession. Well, what's, what's that talking about? This confession is used three times in the book of Hebrews, as well as in other places in Scripture. And it refers, if I can just put it simply, it refers to the gospel message. That's what the confession is. The confession that Jesus is Lord, that he is Savior, that through his life, death and resurrection, he has made a way for sinners to be forgiven and thus given us the privilege of entering into God's presence. That's the confession. So verse 14 is telling us that as we consider Jesus, we will cling to the gospel. As we consider Jesus, we will cling to the gospel. That gospel, the good news that Jesus made a way for us to be forgiven. Now remember, verse 14 and 15 gives us these two reasons. First, Jesus didn't just 
enter into a man-made temple. Why is Jesus a better priest? Well, he didn't enter just into a man-made temple. That's what all the priests had done before him. So where did Jesus enter into? Jesus entered into the very presence of God in heaven to present himself as an atoning sacrifice. Notice verse 14. It says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus has passed through the heavens. He didn't pass through the streets of Jerusalem to go into the temple to act as our high priest. He passed through the heavens to enter into the throne room of God to act as our high priest. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24 says this, For Christ has entered not only into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So Jesus is the better priest because of where he went. He went into heaven itself, this verse says, to act as our high priest. But the second reason why he is the better high priest has to do with the sacrifice he presented. You see, unlike all the priests who had come before, Jesus offered a once and for all sacrifice. Remember, they had to offer sacrifice year after year after year after year. Why? Because they were sinning year after year after year after year. But Jesus came in to God's presence and offered a once and for all sacrifice because it was the blood of a perfect human. So we have to understand this about who Jesus is. The priests who came before God offered the blood of bulls and goats. And God accepted those sacrifices temporarily, but they ultimately cannot atone for sin. And remember, sin is what keeps us out of the presence of God. Well, why, why can't they atone for sin? Well, because they're not like us. They're animals. They can't really be a substitute because we need someone like us to be sacrificed on our behalf. But when Jesus entered God's presence as a priest on our behalf, he didn't bring the blood of, bull and go- of bulls and goats. What did he bring? He brought his own blood. He brought his own blood. The blood of a perfect man. Notice verse 15. It says this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Here's what verse 15 is saying. In his humanity, Jesus was tempted like us. But in his deity, Jesus resisted every temptation. Because Jesus was fully God, he was able to offer a perfect sacrifice. And that's the sacrifice that God requires. And because Jesus was fully man, he was able to offer a substitute sacrifice, which is the sacrifice that God requires. It was necessary if the sacrifice would actually take our place and atone for sin. The author of Hebrews explains this in beautiful words. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 through 12. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. That was the first reason where he went. He entered once for all into the holy places. And then here's the second reason, the sacrifice, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood. Here's the result. Thus securing and eternal redemption. 
thus securing an eternal redemption. So Jesus is a better priest because of what he offered his own blood, which meant all the qualifications that God had put in place of a sacrifice that could actually atone for the sins of humans. Now, why why this emphasis on Jesus? Because as we can consider Jesus. We'll cling to the gospel. We'll hold fast to our confession. Now you ask Zach, I thought we were talking about prayer today. You really haven't mentioned prayer a whole lot. What, what does all this have to do with prayer? I'm glad you asked. If, if the emphasis on Jesus, remembering who he is, a perfect human, God in human form, offering himself, leads us to cling to the gospel, then as we cling to the gospel, we can pray with confidence. As we cling to the gospel, we can pray with confidence. Listen, listen. Prayer is a blood-bought privilege, church. Prayer is a blood-bought privilege. Prayer is entering into the presence of God, and we don't deserve that. The only thing that should happen when we enter God's presence is rejection. Like a commoner who barges into a king's throne room without being summoned is met with a quick death for trespassing. We don't belong in God's heavenly throne room. And we deserve death. We enter into his presence. Sin in our hearts. However, through Jesus, we don't have to go to God with our knees knocking. We don't. We don't have to go to God. Almighty God with our knees knocking, hoping that he won't strike us down. No, because of Jesus, because he's atoned for our sin and sits at the right hand of God, pleading his blood on our behalf. Because of the gospel that we're to hold fast to, we can confidently enter into God's presence through prayer. This confidence to enter God's presence comes only from Jesus and not from ourselves. Back in my younger days. I say that so you who are older can laugh. Um, back in my younger days, uh, when I was, I was going to say, I was going to say back when I was a young teenager, and then I was like, if you're a teenager, you're young. So it's not such a thing as a young teenager. So we'll put it this way. In my early, early teenage years, uh, one of the things that I was really into was uh, dirt bikes. Uh, I, I had a dirt bike. I loved dirt bikes. And my uncle, he owned uh, um, uh uh, Yamaha, Honda, Suzuki, Kawasaki, I don't remember what all he had. Dealership, okay? He actually owned multiple ones. And, um, and so uh, I, I loved going over to his house, and then he was able to um, get me a dirt bike and, and, and graciously provided that for me. And, um, and so I, I loved to ride, and I'd ride all, I liked riding trails, I'd ride on motocross tracks. One of the things I would do, of course, is dream and, uh, about being better than I actually was. And uh, one of the ways that I was able to dream and, and get around folks who was better than me was going to the Supercross race every year in, uh, in Atlanta in the, in the old Georgia Dome. Um, and, uh, and so I, I would go with him, and, and uh, we'd get to see the, see the races and all that. But, but before the races actually would start that evening, uh, we would get there early in the day, and we would go to the pit area. Uh, where all the riders had their trailers and uh, mechanics would be out there working on their dirt bikes, getting them ready, and they would be going out to practice and then coming back in. It was, it was a lot of fun. There's one particular trailer that we would always find. It wasn't a, a particular rider's trailer. Um, it actually was a trailer that belonged to, uh, to a, a business, and they sold all sorts of parts uh, for, uh, for dirt bikes and all kinds of other um, ATV-type equipment. Uh, but that was their company trailer that they set up 
there. Right? They're sponsor, and they would sponsor different riders. And so at their tent, they would have uh, they would have a, a dinner, like a barbecue dinner. And uh, different riders who, who rode for them would come in and they would interview them and, and uh, all that kind of stuff. Well, they had they had kind of some security there at the front. And uh, and we would walk up and I would walk up with my uncle and uh, and they would have a book and they, they would look up and, and he would give them some information. And then they would let us in. Now, listen, I had no right to walk in to that VIP only uh, trailer area. Uh, I didn't have any right to be there. I didn't know any of those people, right? I didn't have a relationship with any of those. I, I did not know them. I had no right to be there. If I had walked in, they would have walked me right back out very quickly. But you know what? I didn't walk in and get my barbecue plate and sit there going, I hope they don't, I hope they don't notice that I'm here. I walked in confidently. Why? Because I was worthy to enter in? No. Because I was with someone who was worthy to enter in. He had the credentials. My uncle had the credentials. His name was on the list. He had met the requirements. And I was with him. And so because of his worthiness to be there, I was able to walk right in and not worry about being kicked out. Listen, our confidence to approach God's throne in prayer comes not, be encouraged by this, comes not from our skill at praying, nor does it come from our worthiness to come before Him, but from our relationship to His Son, whose sacrifice God has accepted on our behalf. Our confidence to enter the throne of God comes from Jesus' worthiness to enter, not our own. So here's some application. How dare we run into the presence of God Almighty without Jesus and His sacrifice on our minds and on our lips. We enter the presence of God through the blood of Jesus and only through the blood of Jesus. This is why delighting in the word of God is the central means for growing in godliness. Because if we don't spend adequate time in God's word, the gospel will not stay front and center in our minds. But when a man or a woman or a boy or a girl who is soaked in the word of God and therefore in the gospel of God, enters the presence of God through prayer, I can guarantee that he or she will be dripping in the realization that this privilege of standing before the Most High God is a blood-bought privilege. The cross will be on his mind. Praise for the sacrifice of Jesus will be on her lips. And I think this clinging to the gospel as we pray will protect us from two types of prayers. One as we cling to the gospel, I think we'll be protected from cheap prayers, from cheap prayers. What do I mean by cheap prayers? Cheap prayers are prayers where we ask God for things that really don't have any eternal significance. Don't have any eternal significance. When, when my gaze is fixed on Christ dying on the cross for the sins of the world, praying that I make an A on my test seems to be somewhat of a waste of his death. It's so insignificant compared to the Son of God hanging on the cross so that the nations could come and worship around His throne. Against the backdrop of the cross, praying that all the traffic lights are green so I get to work on time just seems to cheapen the privilege of prayer. May make some people mad with this next example, but I think it needs to be said in the confused day and time in which we live where we've forgotten that humans and not animals are made in God's image and thus your lost neighbor is a far greater concern to God than your sick cat. 
compared to Jesus pouring out his blood on the cross, praying that your animal gets a good report from the vet, just doesn't seem to measure up on the scale of importance. Or how about this? Hey, God, I'm so glad you sacrificed your son so I could ask everyone on Facebook to pray that my favorite team wins the ball game tonight. Now, listen, please don't hear me wrong. I don't mean that God is not involved in the details of our lives. I don't mean that. And perhaps there is a time and place for such prayers. But I just wonder, church, I just wonder how much time we spend praying for God to send Christians to people groups around the world who are spiritually sick with sin and have never heard the name of Jesus compared to how much time we spend praying for the healing of Christians who are physically sick and they're going to get to go to heaven if they die. Clinging to the gospel as we pray will protect us from cheap prayers. But I think it will also protect us from selfish prayers. And maybe the two are the same thing, but I'm going to divide them out for us. You see, it's really hard to make praying all about you and what you want when you're standing at the foot of the cross watching Jesus die for your sin. Hey, God, can I come in? Yes, I sacrificed my son for you. His blood has made a way for you to enter. Come in, my child. Great. Thanks, God. I'll get right to it. Can you help me have a good day today? Please help me not get behind any slow drivers on my way to work. And help my boss not to be mad at me for not getting that work done on time. And if I could get that new job I applied for, then I'd be happier and wouldn't be in such a bad mood at home with my wife and kids. So could you work it out that I get that new job? And if it's still raining when I get to the grocery store, can you provide a parking, clot, parking spot close to the door? And I'd really like a good report from the doctor today, but please help me not get stuck with that one nurse because she really gets on my nerves. And help my son win his ball game tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Clinging to the gospel as we pray will protect us from selfish prayers. Christian, we must hold fast our confession and we must remember the gospel. We must keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And as we do, it will not only impact the content of our prayers, but the priority of prayer in our lives. Jesus died to make a way for us to enter into God's presence. Church, let's take advantage of that. Let's take advantage of the privilege of entering into God's presence as we strive for godliness. We can pray with confidence because Jesus is our great high priest. The second reason why you can pray with confidence, I told you there's two reasons. The second reason why you can pray with confidence is that God's throne is a throne of grace. God's throne is a throne of grace. Notice verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Verse 16 begins by calling us to look back on the fact that Jesus is our great high priest. And that he is like us in our humanity, but better than us in his sinless perfection. And it caused us to look back on that to propel us into God's throne room with confidence. Like we need to go there and we need to go with confidence. It says, let us then, or in light of that previous statement, in light of those first two verses, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. It's an invitation in the form of a command to enter into the presence of God, to draw near to God, Christian this is the heart of what it means to be godly. I mean, you can't separate godliness from drawing near to God. If we desire to be godly, then we will desire to draw near to God. And as we draw near as Christians who still sin, because we find grace in God's presence, we don't have to be afraid. If God's throne were not a throne of grace, listen, confidence is the last thing we should have in his presence. But God's throne is a throne of grace and his grace is sufficient to forgive. As we consider drawing near to the throne of grace with confidence, I want to share with you four just simple and quick 
truths in verse 16 that I think will not only teach us about the incredible nature of drawing near to God, but will also provide us with a practical guide of drawing near to God. If you're saying, listen, I want to pray, but I, I just don't know. I kind of say the same things over and over. I, what do I say when I, end, when I come before God? What do I do in the presence of Almighty God? What do I say? Well, I want to give you uh, some attitudes and then some practical advice that go hand in hand for praying. The first, the first of these uh, truths is this. An attitude of awe will lead us to adore God as the one worthy of the throne. I'm going to spend much time on these, so listen closely. An attitude of awe will lead us to adore God as the one worthy of the throne. Notice the first thing we ought to recognize when we come before God is the difference between us and God. I mean, that's the first thing that ought to cross our minds when we walk into the throne room of God is He's God and I am not. He is on the throne and we are not. We are coming before the throne and we are not on the throne. He is supreme ruler and we are only his servants. He is majestic in glory. And scripture says we are but dust. He is infinite in power and we are powerless in comparison. He is worthy and we are not. One writer said it this way. To pray is to walk in the full light of God and to say simply without holding back, I am human and you are God. Listen, if that's all you can say in your prayer, I'm telling you, you've said enough to make you grow in godliness. I am human and you are are God. When you pray, you should spend time adoring God for who he is. Listen, if you were writing a love letter to your significant other and you wanted to show how much you adore him or her, you would say things like this. You are so kind. You are so pretty. You are such a hard worker. You are so encouraging. You are so thoughtful. You are so patient, etc., etc., etc. I won't get too sappy on this, okay? Well, in the same way, we can express our adoration to God by declaring his attributes back to him. This is, again, where delighting in God's word is crucial. The way we know God's attributes is by knowing God's word. He has revealed to us who he is in his word. And so we learn that God is holy, righteous, just, patient, loving, gracious, merciful, powerful, eternal. And the list could go on and on and on. And so how do we adore God? We simply tell him he is those things. We say, God, you are powerful. God, you are so loving. God, you are completely and totally righteous and perfect in all your ways. When you pray, spend some time adoring God for who he is. Stand in awe of him. He is worthy. He's on the throne. Second truth is this. An attitude of humility will lead us to confess to God and receive mercy. So we stand in awe of God. And we adore him. We stand humbled before God and we confess to him and receive mercy. Verse 16 says that we may receive mercy. Let us know with confidence, draw near the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy. Why do we need mercy? Well, because we're sinners, right? God's mercy reminds us of our sinfulness. When we come before the one who is worthy, we have to acknowledge and confess our unworthiness. Confession is a key part of prayer, Christian. And again, this is where remembering the gospel is so crucial. The cross is a reminder of my sin. Right? Jesus was dying not for his sin, but for my sin. When you pray, you ought to spend time confessing your sins to God. And don't just say, God, forgive me of my sins and move on. But be specific. Confess the harsh word that you spoke to your child. Confess your impatience with the person in front of you in the checkout line at the grocery store. 
you notice the theme of impatience here? It's because I struggle with it a lot. Confess your pride when your coworker made a mistake and you arrogantly thought, I never would have made that mistake. That's sinful. Confess your failure to share the gospel with the person that God placed in your path. Confess your complaining attitude when the restaurant didn't have what you wanted or took too long to serve your food. Confess your lust when your eyes wandered and your mind dwelt on someone who wasn't your spouse. Confess your laziness when you saw the dishes that needed to be washed, but you made an excuse of why you would just let her wash them and you went and watched television. Confess your gossip. Confess your lying. Confess your anger. Christian, confess. Psalm chapter 32, verse 5 says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And here's the beauty of the gospel. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. When you spend, when you pray, spend time confessing your sin to God. Bow in humility. You're not worthy, but he is merciful. Third truth in verse 16, an attitude of gratitude will lead us to thank God for his grace. An attitude of gratitude will lead us to thank God for his grace. So we stand in awe and we adore We're humbled before him and we confess our sin. And then we're full of gratitude before him. And so we give him thanks for his grace. When we experience God's forgiveness, his mercy toward undeserving sinners, we're led to express thanksgiving to him. His throne is a throne of grace. He gives us grace to help us in our time of need. He treats us how we don't deserve to be treated. We ought to be rejected from his presence. But instead, he says, come on in. He welcomes us. That's grace. And it ought to lead us to give him thanks. Of course, there are many specific ways he shows us grace. And just like our adoration and confession ought to be specific, Christian, we ought to be specific when we come before God with our thanksgivings. I don't deserve my wife and kids. That's God's grace. I don't deserve to have a job. I don't deserve to have food on the table and a roof over my head. I don't deserve to have good friends in my life. These are all gifts of grace. Not to mention the salvation and forgiveness and eternal life and freedom from sin and fellowship with God and all the blessings in the heavenly places that are mine through Christ Jesus. I have been blessed. You have been blessed. And we didn't deserve it. It's His grace. So when you pray, spend time thanking God. Kneel with gratitude toward Him. He is gracious, so thank Him for it. And the fourth truth we see here at the end of verse 16 is this. We want to come before God with an attitude of dependence. Because an attitude of dependence will lead us to ask God for His help. You say, is there a place for making requests before God? Absolutely. God wants us to bring our requests to Him. Notice what it says here, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need, not to help God. He doesn't need our help. It's us who needs the help. So God is ready as he's on his throne of grace to help us in our time of need. Ultimately, prayer is a declaration of dependence upon God. We pray because we are needy. It's hard for some of us to admit. We pray because we need God to act on our behalf. The amazing thing has been that God actually does. He's told us to ask. Of course, God is not a heavenly vending machine who just gives us whatever we ask for, regardless of what it is or the motive behind it. But if our eyes, remember all we talked about so far, if our eyes are fixed on Jesus, if we are clinging to the gospel, 
we then will be asking for things that bring Jesus honor and glory. So do you need patience? Me? <laughs> Ask God. Do you need wisdom? Ask God. Do you need help trusting God's plan for your life? Ask God. Do you need more self-control when it comes to your anger or your eating or your time spent on social media? Ask God. Do you need boldness to share the gospel with a friend? Ask God. Do you need comfort as you walk through a trial of life? Ask God. Listen, God didn't make a way for us to come before His throne only to reject our request and tell us that He doesn't have time for us. God cares for His children. He knows what we need before we ask. But He wants us to ask so that we can grow in godliness as we learn dependence upon Him. Verse 16 says that we can find grace to help in a time of need. Church, Christian, we're needy people. And God knows and He hears and He responds in grace. When was the last time you just simply said, God, I need you. I can't do it. I need you. When you pray, spend time asking God for His help. Depend upon God and He can help. And listen, He will. Now, here's what, I, here's what hopefully I've done. Not only given you some theology behind prayer and how we pray and, and why it's a privilege, but... I want you to walk out of here with with a strategy for prayer. And many of you have have heard me share this strategy with you before, but I want to remind you if you already know, and if you haven't heard, I want you to walk out of here with something very tangible. And when you go home and you say, I want to spend a few minutes in prayer, but how do I do that in in a proper way? I've just given you four categories in which you can pray. Number one, adoration. Number two, confession. Number three, thanksgiving. And number four, I'm going to give you a different word than what you see. Instead of the word ask, I'm going to give you a fancy word, and I'm going to tell you why. The word supplication. You're like, why in the world did you give us that? So let's just say, let's just stick with ask God, okay? Supplication is a biblical word, and, and it means to make requests of God. But the reason I give it to you is so that we can write an acronym. The acronym is the word ACTS, A-C-T-S. Does that have anything to do with the book of Acts and the Bible, okay? So don't go searching through the book of Acts for what I'm about to say. Acts, adoration, A, confession, C, T is thanksgiving, and S is supplication, or asking God, making your request. So when you get ready to spend some time in prayer, just hit those four categories. Say, all right, I'm going to spend a couple of minutes adoring God. If you don't know what to adore Him for, open up the book, of, open up God's Word, open up this book, and you'll have plenty of material. Go to the book of Psalms and start there. Book of Psalms is full of the attributes of God. Then spend a few minutes confessing to God. Be specific. Then spend a few minutes thanking God. Give Him thanks for specific things in your life that He's blessed you with. And then finally, lay your burdens before Him. Cast your cares upon Him because He cares for you. Prayer is a crazy thing. We're unworthy to be in God's presence, and yet God counts us worthy to be in His presence. Ever thought about that? Prayer is crazy. It's, it's amazing. It's fascinating. How can we be both worthy and unworthy at the same time? Well, let's end where we began. The gospel. Jesus on the cross. Keith and Kristen Getty and Graham Kendrick captured this truth 
It's an amazing truth in their song entitled, My Worth is Not in What I Own. And in that song, they wrote this. I'm going to read the whole song to you, just this one part. I love this. Two wonders here that I confess. Two things that I'm amazed about. Two wonders here that I confess. My worth and my unworthiness. My value fixed. My ransom paid. At the cross. Two wonders here that I confess. My worth and my unworthiness. My value fixed. My ransom paid. At the cross. We don't deserve to draw near to God, Christian. But we can because of Jesus. And God wants us to. In fact, it's essential if we're going to grow in godliness. So let me ask you a question. Christian, how is your prayer life? There are all sorts of ways that you can pray. All sorts of exercises under this one category. You can pray silently. You can pray out loud. You can write out your prayers. You can type out your prayers. You could dictate your prayers to Siri and have her save them in your phone, I guess. Or whoever your Siri is, depending on what kind of phone you have. You can, you can pray by yourself. You can pray with others. You can pray through Scripture. You can pray while you're driving. You can pray while you're in a doctor's office. You can pray when you're at school. You can pray at your home. You can pray at someone else's home. You can pray over the phone. You could send someone a letter, write out a prayer to them. You could pray a short prayer. You can pray a long prayer. Listen, just pray. There's all different ways to pray. We just got to do it. You can pray with confidence, Christian. But I just want you to remember that it's a blood-bought confidence. Jesus is your high priest. God's throne is a throne of grace. So enter his presence often. Enter his presence joyfully. Enter his presence thanksgiving. Enter his presence clinging to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Enter his presence through that precious blood that was poured out on Calvary's cross for you and for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you. Father, we thank you that Jesus is able to save to the othermost those who draw near to God through him since He always lives to make intercession for them. Father, if there's someone here today who has not been welcomed into Your presence because they don't belong to Jesus, they're not wearing His credentials around their neck, Father, today I pray that they would humble themselves before You and they would receive Your grace and mercy. That they would repent of their sin and they would trust in Jesus alone for salvation. Father, for those of us who have received this great salvation, Father. I pray that this passage would convict us if we need to be convicted of a lack of prayer in our lives or maybe praying for the wrong things or in the wrong way or with the wrong attitude. But at the same time, Father, and maybe even more so, God, I pray that this passage would motivate us to want to pray as we realize the cost to you and to your Son that it took for us to be able to enter into your presence. Father, it is a beautiful privilege. Help us to take advantage of it. Father, we adore you for who you are. We confess our unworthiness to come before you. 
We give thanks to You for the many blessings of life, namely salvation through Jesus. Father, we ask that You would help us grow in godliness. We need Your help each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.